Sometimes you hear people say, I wish the church today could be more like the early church in the Bible. My response to that is usually, don't worry, we are. See, the idea is that the early church had it all together. They were spiritually vibrant. They had no less than the apostles to lead them and preach. It must have been a golden age for the church, right? Wrong. The New Testament is pretty honest about the fact that problems in the church go way back. The letter of 1 Corinthians testifies to this, and today on Groundwork, we begin a new series on this wonderful letter. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. And uh, Daryl, with this program, uh, we are starting a fairly large, for Groundwork, a fairly large seven-part series on the first letter to the Corinthians. And just to get started here, Daryl, I think we can uh, just sort of talk a little bit about what uh, scholars sometimes talk about, the Corinthian correspondence, and that uh, uh, we have two letters in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, but we think there might have been more, right? So apparently scholars are saying that there are some letters that got lost in translation. Yeah. And the current letters that we have are the ones we consider 1 and 2 Corinthians, but technically they could be 2 and 4 Corinthians. But it's unclear on which letters we do have in the correspondence. So there was more back and forth. And and one of the things for sure that we know, uh, reading between the lines, as it were, and we're going to note this throughout this series, is that what we now call 1 Corinthians was a reply letter. Uh, Paul had already gotten a letter from the Corinthians and uh, – that letter from the Corinthians uh, had a very, very long laundry list of questions, issues, concerns, and above all, controversies that were rocking that little uh, that little congregation. That's right. And Scott, it really reminds me of the FAQ section when you're searching on a website or when you're uh, in a questionnaire mm-hmm. because they hit him with a lot of questions. And he's like, well, According to the things that you wrote me about, here's this answer, here's that answer, and we'll be able to dig into that soon. Yeah, you can almost see Paul uh, checking off the boxes as he goes along. Now right. concerning this, now concerning that, right? So you you know he he's uh, responding to stuff they already sent him. We don't have that letter either. The, that letter didn't survive. It's actually amazing that we have as much as we do from the first century. But there were some letters that we don't have, and presumably the Holy Spirit knew we didn't need them either, right? The Spirit gave us right. the books we did need. But uh, anyway, scholars think that probably at the time in the first century when Paul wrote Corinthians, there was the Corinthian church is probably fairly small, maybe sort of like an average church today, probably fewer than 100 members, but they were fighting about absolutely everything. You know what's really encouraging to me about this is that there are no details spared and there's no, hmm. uh, there's always some drama involved in the church, which actually is encouraging to me because there continues to be issues in the church and it does not halt God or stop him from wanting to be involved and choosing his church to help and encourage them. That's encouraging for me to see in Corinth. It's encouraging for me to see today. And I'll tell you though, uh, too, Daryl, I mean, the things they were uh, talking about, arguing about and asking about weren't small things. They were asking about the meaning of the cross. They were asking about marriage. They were dealing with a man who had taken up a sexual relationship with his mother-in-law. Yikes. 
members are filing lawsuits against each other. There was a holier-than-thou element lording their gifts, like speaking in tongues, more spectacular stuff, over lesser gifts or what they call lesser gifts. Their celebration of the Lord's Supper was a mess, and there were people denying that there was any such thing as a resurrection. But, you know, outside of all that, Corinth was a great place. (laughs) And we're going to be dealing with all of those, most all of those, in the next uh, six programs. But for this program, Darrell, let's just sort of begin uh, where Paul begins uh, with the opening of the letter. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So with the exception of the letter to the Galatians, Daryl, Paul's letters always open with a Thanksgiving section where he kind of, you know, lays it on thick a little bit. And this looks like that, but a friend of mine, a very good preacher and teacher of preaching, Tom Long, in a sermon I heard back in the 90s from Tom, he thinks that maybe Paul is being a little tongue-in-cheek here because he is praising them for the very things he knows are tearing them apart. Do you think they had sarcasm back then, Scott? <laughs> because this is kind of like, oh, you're doing so well. You're doing so great. But we're going to deal with some of these issues that you actually have that you've been addressing. And so it's interesting that Tom will bring that up. I think that's a really interesting look at how this goes. Yeah. Oh, you've been blessed with all kinds of speech. Well, speaking in tongues was tearing them apart. You got all kinds of knowledge. We were going to take that up in the next part of the program. What they thought was knowledge wasn't such great knowledge. Uh, oh, you've got every spiritual gift. Well, they were tearing each other's eyes out over spiritual gifts. So, And he, he actually also um, doubles up on the holiness language. He, you, you could translate, you know, you're sanctified and called to be holy. So Paul's sort of saying, you guys are so holy, holy. You're, you're just holy, holy people. I'm guessing they, they might have squirmed in their seats a little bit when they first heard this. It's interesting because it could be a twist where it's holy H-O-L-Y, but actually holy H-O-L-E-Y because they're <laughs> missing some of the effective things that they need in order to be spiritually mature. And Paul will address that. What Paul is doing here is he's kind of previewing the letter and therefore previewing kind of our seven-part series here on Groundwork from First Corinthians because he kind of ticks through the things that uh, he knows they've been asking questions about. Uh, he ticks through the things he knows that they're having some real struggles with. And so he's uh, basically, you know, <laughs> he doesn't say it in as many words here. He doesn't say, oh, by the way, I got your letter. But by listing everything, almost everything here that they'd asked about in their letter to him, Basically, you know, Paul is saying, "I got your letter. <laughs> uh, I, I, I hear you, and uh, we're going to be we're going to be talking about this in everything else. I'm going to write to you." Well, another thing that's interesting is the fact that Paul actually speaks about the faithful God who will keep them firm mm. to the end and mm. who will present them to be blameless on the day. And this is important through all of the challenges that they're facing. That God's priority is that He will teach them and He will keep them. Exactly, and that 
uh, actually uh, shows the fact that Paul is uh, signaling some hope uh, right at the start here, that God is the one who, who I mean, he knows they're blameworthy, but he says God's going to make you blameless, uh, and that's good news. So anyway, uh, that kind of previews the letter, but uh, in just a moment, we're going to turn to one of the first things Paul needs to talk about, and it's about the cross and what really counts as wisdom and what really counts as foolishness. So stay tuned. What does it look like to honor and serve God in your marriage and family? Visit FamilyFire.com to discover how you can better live out your faith in the context of your relationships. At FamilyFire.com, you'll find articles and devotions curated to encourage you to stoke the Holy Spirit's flame in your home. You'll also find an online community that can help you explore what it means to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in your family as a spouse, parent, or even an in-law. Join the community and be encouraged FamilyFire.com. I'm Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork. And Daryl, we're uh, in this first program of a seven-part series on Paul's first letter, uh, at least the first letter we have, to the Corinthian congregation. And we just were saying, uh, Daryl, this was a congregation, not very large, but boy, do they have a lot of problems. It seems that the problems are kind of multiplied because they have like a hundred or less members. Hmm. But everybody who comes into church, they carry things with them, whether it be good or bad or whatever it is. So the saying goes, if you want to join a perfect church, don't join because you'll mess it up by bringing your own issues. (laughs) That's exactly right. Now, actually, if our our listeners have their Bibles open and if they're looking at 1 Corinthians 1, they know that really the first thing after that introduction we just talked about in the previous segment, the first thing Paul talks about is uh, some confusion about who they were following. Some were following Paul. Some were following Paul's associate, Apollos. Uh, Others said they had Jesus all to themselves. But Paul's going to deal with that a little bit more in depth in chapter 3. So we're going to save that part for the next program. Can't wait. Yeah. So we'll just jump ahead now to verse 18 of chapter 1 and listen to these words. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. So where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom didn't know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified." A stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Now, Paul's speaking from experience on this, Scott, because he's been to Athens. He's been to the Mm. debating centers in the Areopagus. He knows that they look for wisdom. They look for rhetoricians. They look for the unique thought of the day. And he's saying that there is no power in any of that. And God actually used the most foolish person and the methods that they consider foolish in order to get his point across. Exactly. Yeah, the Greeks, uh, you know, they were famous for philosophy. Uh, Most everybody's heard of Socrates and Plato. Uh, The Greeks 
Greeks loved philosophy. They loved uh, debates. Uh, they loved uh, arguing philosophical positions. Uh, and in, indeed, in uh, I think it's Acts 17, uh, when Paul's in Athens, uh, they liked engaging Paul right up until the time when he started talking about the resurrection. And then it was like, oh, that's something we cannot buy ever. So we'll hear you later on this. Yeah, yeah. See, see talk to you later. But apparently, Daryl, it looks like this love of worldly knowledge was something some of the Corinthians were maybe carrying with them into church. See, this Greek thought that you're talking about, it actually is, I would say, probably some baggage that they carried when they came in. Because to have Christ crucified is definitely foolishness to any Greek philosopher, anybody who thinks this worldly wisdom is priority. So there is a process that these these Hellenistic people need to go through in order to understand what it means to believe and have faith in God's power and wisdom. And it's going to change the way that they think about what they have had in the past. It's an upside down world is what Paul basically presents. I mean, I mean, there really aren't too many groups in history, Daryl. I don't think there are too many groups that got founded the moment their leader died, <laughs> right. right? I mean, we call it Good Friday. I mean, most people would call it Terrible Friday. I mean, that should be, that should have been the end of the whole movement. And yet, Paul says Christ crucified is the best thing that we could possibly ever proclaim to you. And to the world, that's ridiculous. Well, he, he says, actually, Daryl, even to the Jewish people, it was what he called a scandalon, a, a scandal. A scandal is literally, in Greek, a stumbling block. They just couldn't, even the Jews couldn't get past the idea that their Messiah would have gotten crucified or killed. That didn't make any sense to, to even the Jews. I think one of the reasons why it didn't make sense, Scott, is because the emphasis on victory and winning and retribution and power, those things are not new concepts. I don't know if we know this. We haven't invented that. That came hmm. from way back in the day. And when you use weakness as the center of the power, it just upends whatever understanding you thought you might have considering how this method is done. It's really powerful that God would invert the thing and use weakness in order to be the source of power. Exactly. It, again, it's completely um, backwards. I was thinking, too, Daryl, that uh, also today, and we'll talk about this a bit in the final part of this program, power of any type continues to be uh, the driver of society. Uh, the, the late comedian George Carlin, he had this uh, – about five or six minute amazing monologue where he just smashed together. It's called Modern Man. And he smashed together all of the buzz phrases and catchphrases and advertising phrases today. And at one point, he summed up the wisdom of the modern world. He said, you push the envelope, manage risks, be a high flyer, get ahead of the curve. Don't snooze or you'll lose. Keep the pedal to the metal and have a power lunch, take a power nap, wear a power tide, take a power trip. <laughs> it's all about power, right? That's how you get ahead in the world. That's worldly wisdom. And unfortunately, it doesn't work for everyone. And it's actually contrary to the method that we're taught that God uses. And so the fact that God is turning this whole worldly structure on his head is actually good for us. Because if we think about where Paul is going to go when he talks about the Corinthian believers and their own standards and how they came into being and how they came into the faith, mm. then he connects that whole standard with their actual circumstance. And that's encouraging for them and for us. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he, he, said, he goes on in verse 26. He says, um, brothers and sisters, think of you when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential, not many of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
In other words, Darrell, what, what he is saying is that this backwards gospel, which looks weak and couldn't possibly be effective, he's saying it fits you people uh, because you aren't the beautiful people, right? If they had People Magazine back then, he's saying none of you ever been on the cover of People Magazine, right? A lot of the world thinks you're losers. Well, guess what? God's got a gospel tailor-made just for you. And, you know, that's definitely encouraging for those who struggle from a withdrawal of perfectionism Mm. or for those who think that we need to get on the corporate ladder and climb as high as we can or those who think power is the way to do things and need to walk in and dominate a room or whatever it is, the credentials that they have in their degrees or the money that they make. God is saying none of that qualifies us. The fact that Christ is crucified and he is actually dealing with people who have a lower standard and come from a lowly background, that qualifies everyone. And the saying is that the playing field is level at the foot of the cross. Mm, Yeah, exactly. So, you know, Paul's saying, you know, don't get caught up in how the world calculates human value. God's math is is really different. And as you just said, Daryl, that's exactly um, what we, I think we all need to know. That's good news. And Scott, coming up in the next segment, we're going to talk about the implications of some of that. So stay tuned. glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And let's dive right back into uh, this. We're going to talk about some of the implications of what we were just saying. So, uh, Daryl, let's now go to um, 1 Corinthians 2. It reads, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom but on God's power. So there it is again, uh, right? The, the, the backwards nature of the gospel. Paul is now saying even how the gospel gets communicated isn't dependent on Paul being a great speechwriter or rhetorician or orator. Paul is often uh, somewhere else. I think it's in 2 Corinthians where Paul is often defending himself against uh, critics. And one of the criticisms of Paul was that he was always strong in his letters but a little bit weak in person. We tend to think of Paul as a real, you know, powerhouse, but apparently he, he wasn't the greatest speaker in the world. But he's saying, that's okay. It's the power of the message that matters, not the power of the speaker. And we're, right. gonna, we're actually going to talk about that in the next program. The foolish message fits a weak way of even preaching it because then it's all on the spirit. Yeah, Scott, I just want to say that I don't think that Paul was intending to be passive aggressive because hmm. we sometimes get emails where people will blast you, but then when you meet them in person, they're timid. Um, and that is not the actual 
reason or the method of Paul at this point. Paul is actually not going to hold on to the credentials that he had. There are some places where he says, I'm a Jew of Jews. I have been born of the tribe of Benjamin. I have all these accolades to let them know he's qualified. But in this moment, it's really about the person and work of Jesus Christ that makes his work effective. And it's not about personalities. It's not about positions or power. Exactly. You said this earlier, the head of the program, Daryl, that uh, noting that the, the Corinthians had so many problems was comforting to you because our churches today do too, right? Sure is. Um, and the fact of the matter is, is that all through history, the church has been tempted by worldly power, political power. Anybody who knows sort of uh, the history of the Middle Ages knows that there were a lot of popes in the church – uh, this is when there was just one church before the Reformation. There are a lot of popes who tried to seize political power and wanted to rule the the, the nation as well as the church. And then there were a lot of kings uh, who tried to uh, rule the church and you know disenfranchise the pope or the bishop or whoever. So we've always been tempted in the church to use worldly tactics. And um, even in more recent times, there are a lot of church leaders who – get a little dizzy when they get close to political power. We still like cozying up to political power and think that maybe it's the way to impose our will on the world. Well, power can be intoxicating, Scott. And so even with everyone who has an ego and a pride, they have to resist the temptation to try to seize what the world says is important to have and the methods and tactics that the world says, this is how you get things done. Because Christ and his crucifixion turned that thing upside down. You use the weakness of the things of the world and not the strength of the things of the world in order to get his salvation to us. And the message that he is the one that comes in the weakness helps us encourage us as well because we come in weakness. So it's really encouraging. Yeah, it's so important to remember, too, because, you know, Daryl, uh, we're, we're both pastors. You're actively pastoring now. I've pastored two congregations um, in my ministry as well. And, uh, you know, we've been hearing from a lot of our fellow pastors over the last uh, while, particularly when the pandemic was going on and during the time of COVID, a lot of congregations were fighting just as much as the Corinthians because a lot of stuff got politicized. A lot of uh, political fissures uh, broke out into the open during COVID, yeah. and a lot of pastors burned out. A lot of congregations uh, splintered apart. People stopped talking to friends. And it's just a reminder that, you know, what, what the Corinthians struggled with in terms of being lured by human knowledge, human wisdom, worldly ways of getting things done, as opposed to God's humble, sacrificial way, that's still with us. So then the question becomes, Daryl, what do we do about it? Well, what we do about it is we go back to the basics. So uh, there was a time when we had this pandemic going on. And at our church, we went back to the basics. So what does it mean to regather? What does it mean to remember? Remember as in reconstitute mm -hmm. and, and be recapitulated by God and recalled by God, reaffirmed by God. And I think that we need to get back to the basics, sometimes go back to the gospel 101, if yeah. you will, so that we can remember Christ crucified is the main message and everything springs out of that. And even that, uh, in the United States in particular, uh, even that we sometimes struggle with. A friend of mine at Calvin University wrote a book in 2020 called Jesus and John Wayne, where she documents sort of a long history over the last you know half century at least, maybe even longer in the United States, where we've gone for this muscular Jesus, sort of Jesus as Rambo, uh, God's warrior, tough guy Jesus like John Wayne, you know, the, and that's just not who Jesus actually 
was. And so gospel, yeah, gospel 101, that's just what Paul does. He says, I'm just going to bring you right back to the cross. In the verses you read earlier, he says, the only thing I want to know is Christ crucified. That's all I want to know. And I think Paul is saying that's all you need to know. You go back to the humble, sacrificial Jesus, and if you model yourself after him, a lot of the problems in the church are probably going to go away. I think it also sets us free because there are internal and external pressures to be perfect, to win, to do what's well, to execute power that we really don't need when it comes to our relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. And if we can be set free by the gospel that gives us the grace to move on, then we also can set other people free from saying, you don't need all of that. You don't need all the knowledge. You don't need all the credentials. What you need to know is Christ crucified. And that is the foundation of your faith that sets you free from all these worldly standards. Exactly. And it'll influence how you treat other people. It'll influence who you think is important. Right, uh, as the as Paul wrote, and as we looked in the last segment, a lot of the world would look at the Corinthians and say, "Losers, you know, they're not they're not the powerful, they're not power brokers in society." Uh, and Paul says, "No, you are the most important people to God, and that means that everybody that we meet are the most important people to God." And so, all we can do is pray that the Spirit will give us the grace to follow where our God and our humble Savior Jesus leads us. Amen. Thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your host, Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and we hope you'll join us again next time as we examine the issues the Apostle Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians 3. Connect with us at GroundworkOnline.com to share what Groundwork means to you, or tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit ReframeMinistries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob.